Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Well, this morning we are going to continue in our series called Transform TLH. Have you enjoyed this series? It's just been so great. So we're going to turn our attentions to the screens. We're going to watch a video before Pastor Mike comes out and gives us the Word of God today. Would you give me a drink? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well... None of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out to in the heat. So you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? Rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. Thank you. 
Joram. I would have that joy again. I would have that joy again and run and say, oh my gosh, I met Jesus, I met Jesus. I hope today after we leave that you have that same joy again. If we've not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Mike. I am the worship and creative arts pastor here at Transformation Church. Welcome, if you are a first time guest, so glad you're here with us. Really excited about this series, really excited about the last two weeks. You've really enjoyed Transform TLH, right? You've Okay. All right. Good, good, good. I want to make sure that that wasn't a fake. Yeah. You gave Pastor Andrea. Um, if you say with the same tenacity the second time, I know you're not telling me a fib. Um, so I'm so glad that you've enjoyed this series. We're going to continue the series again this week with part three, and I'm excited about that. But before I, I even step into that, I just want to take a second and thank God that there are so many anointed people in this church. The ability that I have to be able to take a week off of leading worship and say, Wes, you got this, bro, and to have an experience like we just had? Come on, man. So y'all give it up for, for Wes, one of our deacons. Like, He's probably going to kick me in the kneecap for doing that, but it's okay. Um, I, I wore skinny jeans, so it won't hurt as bad when he kicks me in the kneecap today. Um, but yeah, so glad that we're surrounded by such a great team and that we have such an amazing team that I just have the absolute privilege of pastoring and leading. And uh, we're going to continue to experience the transforming power of Jesus through the word today. And I'm excited. If it's your first time with us in this series specifically, it's okay. I'm going to get you caught up. It's not like you're going to be like, what is this story even about? I'm going to get you caught up a little bit today as we move forward. The big challenge is for those of you who have maybe come the first two weeks and you're like, oh, they're preaching that story again. See, there's a challenge sometimes where we, we let a little bit of age meet a little bit of our faith and we feel advanced in what we believe and all of a sudden we're like, well, I've read the story a hundred times. You have nothing new under the sun to share with me today. I want to challenge you today. Let's lock in. Because every week, I don't know about you, I've gotten something different out of these messages every week. The same story, the same chapter, something a little bit different every single time. I believe God's going to do that as well today. So let's lock in and grow together today. But before we get started, we have this congregational prayer that we pray. Let's pray this together to prepare our hearts. Say, Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Has anybody ever been ridiculously thirsty? Like I'm talking Sahara Desert Tongue Angitis, where if you sneeze, dust flies out of your mouth, thirsty. I mean, like if you were to lick the wall, it would be like sandpaper and rip the paint off of the drywall. So the other night I got up, uh, the last couple of weeks because of the pollen or whatever, I'm having a hard time breathing when I sleep uh, because I'm like crazy allergic to oak bloom and pollen. So I've been getting up at like four in the morning and going to the bathroom and like watching Sports Center for like 30 minutes and then going back to sleep and I'm like, what the heck is going on? But the other morning I got up and it was a little different than the other mornings that I'd woken up because I got up and I was like... What is wrong with my mouth? Did I like eat a handful of sand in the backyard before I went to bed? Because I like, my mouth was so dry. I felt my, like my tongue was going to crack, like blood, it was just going to be bad. So I went to the restroom and I came back and I looked at my wife's uh, nightstand and it was like a pillar of fire. Whoa! There was a whole Gatorade bottle that had not been opened yet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm probably going to wake her up because you know you open a Gatorade bottle, it sounds like firecrackers. Like, 
you know? So I walk over to it and I grab it, I'm like, and I chug the whole 16 ounce bottle standing right there. And I look down when I'm done taking a deep breath and she's looking at me, she's like, what the heck are you doing? I was like, I'm thirsty. I'm so thirsty. And so I went back to my side of the bed, and on my nightstand was a half-drunk Gatorade bottle from probably about four nights prior. I was like, I don't care. It might be funky. I'm going to drink it. And I drank it. I just killed it. I was like, I'm about to go put my mouth under the faucet. And so I went to the kitchen. I got a glass of water. I drank it. And I finally felt like I was scratching the surface of my thirst. Oh, it's the worst thing ever. If there was a one-gallon jug of water, I would have find a, found a way to put an IV in my arm in that moment because I was so thirsty, so terribly thirsty. Well, in this story we've been reading, you see John 4. There's the story of Jesus who is cresting the hill in a place called Samaria, and Jesus sits down by the well because my guy is thirsty. But he's not the only thirsty person at the well. He meets someone there who we call the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, never given a full name in the Bible. She sits down with him to fill her jugs because she was thirsty as well. The only difference was their thirst came from different places. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today as we jump back into this story. But before we jump back into the story, I want to talk a little bit about some historical and regional context that I picked up on when I was studying this week that I think is going to help us unpack this uh, story in the Bible pretty well together today. You see, Jesus and his disciples had just left this place called Judea. He had just been in Judea. He had met with the noble Nicodemus. I mean, anybody with the name Nicodemus better be noble. And after that, they were making their way north and they decided, let's go to Galilee. I feel like the father is leading me to Galilee. And then later in the story, you would see that he actually performed two miracles right when he got to Galilee. He found the, uh, the paralytic by the pool that rolled over. It bubbled up and he walked out healed. And then directly after that, he took a couple of fishes and bread and fed 5,000 people. And there's these awesome miracles that you see happening when Jesus gets to Galilee, but we can't skip the voyage. We can't skip the journey because if we do, we don't see this story about the woman at the well. This is the first time Jesus would have exposed himself into the public as being the Messiah was at this woman at the well. She was the one who broke down the wall between Jesus being a good man and a Jew and actually being the Messiah. But... And this area of Samaria, that rhymed, sounded pretty cool, the area of Samaria, there was a lot of cultural tension in the day. Also, above and beyond the cultural tension, there was some geography they had to navigate, some terrain that they had to overcome. And you might ask, what was the tension of the day? Pastor Ryan hit on this a little bit last week. The tension was, is that about six centuries prior to the coming of Jesus to this area, the Assyrian army came in and took heed of this land we know as Samaria in the Bible. And they came in and they, they took heed of the land. They took ownership of it. They migrated Jews into the land and they began to breed with them, creating what the Jews called crossbreeds or dogbreds or even the unclean generation of Sumerians and they were actually breeding with them and taking a perfectly pure Jew and breeding an Assyrian culture into them. And at this time, the Assyrians were savages. They were bad to the bone. They were not amazing people. And what happened is they left this nation a culturally tense place because surrounding on both sides was a hyper prevalence of Jewish culture. Yeah, Judea to the south, yeah, Galilee to the north. There was a lot of Jewish culture surrounding Samaria. The only downfall with that was... 
With these unclean people, they could not cohabitate. So for centuries, what they did is they fought wars and they battled one another. They shed blood. They killed one another because the Jews continued to say, we do not want these unclean people near our land. That's pretty egregious, right? That's pretty bad. Wars and disputes ensued for several centuries, but by the time Jesus showed up, the bloodshed was over and these people simply avoided one another. And you might say, well, how do you avoid a neighbor? <laughs> how do you avoid a neighboring country or neighboring region? Well, here's how they would do it. We're going to look at the map here. There were two different ways that you could get to Galilee from Judea. The first way was a really hilly, terrainous route that had tons of mountains and hills and, and, and things that they had to walk through. And it was a straight shot. It would take about three days from Judea right to Galilee. Three days. But then there's also option two, which had one mountain crest to actually deal with, and it was along the coast of Samaria where they would actually stay away from the majority of the Samarian people, and they would skirt this flatland, and they could move quite a bit quicker on foot, but it still took them every bit of five days to make that trip to Galilee. So they literally walked around the Samarian people to their best way. But you see Jesus walks up on the scene, knowing he's got to make his way to Galilee, and he said, I think I'm going to take Route 1. And I'm sure the disciples were like, are, are, you, are you sure? Like, the path of least resistance is the coast. But we know Jesus, all through Scripture, doesn't take the path of least resistance. Like Jesus kicks the door in like a savage and is like, the Savior is here. Let's go. Let's go. Jesus, little part lamb, little part lion, right? Like roaring at people, like making all the people mad in the temple, flipping the table, saying, get over your religion, you, you mean people. And like he was like, he was not afraid of a little fight, a little tension. But it's more than just him saying, let's go start a little fire. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you think Jesus provoked a lot of the things he got into. But it was a little bit more than that. It was, it was the fact that he didn't really have a choice. And you might say, Mike, you're kind of reading between the lines. How do you mean that? Well, if we look at John 4, 4, this passage of scripture, it says he had to go through Samaria on the way, that second word had, had. In the English language, that binds us to doing something. If I have to do something, then I'm pretty bound to it. It's like I've made a commitment to do that. But if you look at the original text in the Greek, that's the word echdai. I did my best to pronounce it. If you're a Greek scholar, don't throw anything at me. Echdai, which actually means there was it necessary to go through this area. Why was it necessary? Because Jesus saw it more than a path. He saw it a purpose. There was a purpose attached to route one that he decided to take. And so here they go, walking through a thirsty Jesus, cresting hills and mountains, which is important to remember for later. He had to walk uphill to Jacob's well. Walking uphill, the disciples had gone and, 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 and moved into the town to grab food and reparations, but he decided to walk uphill to the well and take a seat, a thirsty savior waiting for a thirsty Samaritan woman. 
And that's where we pick up in the story today. Verses six through nine, we're gonna read this first. It says, John 4, six through nine in the NLT, Jacob's well was there. There where the seat, the, the well that he had found this woman. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Let's pause here for a second. Isn't it beautiful to see the humanity of Jesus that just because he was the son of God and the son of man that he still got tired? I think a lot of times we think that Jesus could run like seven marathons back to back and not be weary. Jesus was 100% God, but yet 100% human. You see the humanity of Jesus here. Let's continue. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Next scripture says, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He said, can you give me a drink? I am thirsty, sister. I have a Samaritan tongue, not Sahara tongue. I am thirsty. I need a drink. I need a drink. I came all the way up here to this hill to sit by this well, which you don't know was it was to wait for you, but I realized there was well water here waiting for me. I'm thirsty. Can you give me a drink? But immediately her response was not, oh, sure. How big of a cup do you want? Or yeah, I got you. No, her response was, why would a Jew want anything from me? I mean, Jesus was well aware of the tensions. He was raised Jewish. He was a Jew. She's like, well, why would you want to get a drink of water from, from me? And, and, and if you think about it and paraphrase, she's like, why would you want to bother with me? Like, get your own water. Like, I'm just a filthy, nasty Samaritan woman. Well, what can I do for you, a, a faultless, pure Jew? And there's another layer of attention beyond him being a Jew. It's the fact that he was a man. And as we learn later in the story, and we're not going to dive much into it, she had had five husbands and the man she was living with was not her husband. And we look at that part of the story and we're like, oh man, she was a floozy. No, she wasn't. That was not it. In those days, a man could say, my wife sneezed on my dinner. I'm divorcing her. Or my wife, um, I didn't have the guts to tell her she looked fat in that dress, so I'm going to divorce her, <laughs> right? So they could make up anything and divorce, like boom, just right there. Whereas women, it was nearly impossible to be divorced. Pastor Ryan touched on this last week as well, but she had had five different husbands and the man she was with was not her husband. So she had some guy problems, right? I think, uh, I think the theologian Jay-Z said, if you're having guy problems, I feel bad for you, son. No, I'm just kidding. I've got 99 problems, but my guy ain't one. Okay, um, so they've gotten to this place where it's not only a Jew, but it's a man. It's a man. So she's like, first of all, you being a man at the well with me privately one-on-one -on -one, only feeds the rhetoric of my reputation. It only feeds the fact of the people who scoff me as I walk through the, the, the streets of Samaria. It only feeds the fact that people think that I'm something that I'm really not. But I, here I am in shame at the top of the hour of the day, the hottest time of the day, to draw water because I don't want to be around people. I'm tired of the judgment of people. So the fact that not only are you a Jew, but you're a man here privately with me at the well, like what do you want from me? What do you want from me? She's speaking from a place of pain, speaking from a place of defense, and speaking from a place of shame. She had a shameful past, and she knew this encounter wouldn't help it. This reputation is why she went at the unpopular time of high noon. 
I don't know about you, but if I had to go draw water from an uphill well, I would probably go at 5 a.m. before the sun got crazy hot and baked me. But there's this anomaly that we see. We see this woman who approaches this well. There's a Jewish man, Jesus, waiting for her. And she shows up. And not only is she thirsty because of the heat, but she's thirsty for freedom. She's thirsty for freedom in her life, yet drowning in shame. Thirsty and drowning. What an oxymoron. How can you be thirsty but drowning? Well, she shows us right here. She's thirsty to be free, but she's drowning in her own shame. Why else would she go at the hottest point of the day? Why else would she defend herself so point blank to Jesus? It's because she carried shame. You know, there's one thing that I've learned and I'm not going to say in my long life because then usually the guys who are older than me are like, oh, you don't know anything, son. You're only 33. And they'll scoff me. But in my 33 years of long-lived life, there's one thing I've learned in life. Shame makes us work a lot harder than we actually have to. Shame will put us to work on a full-time job. Shame makes us defend ourselves when no one's attacking us. Shame makes us isolate ourselves when no one's going out of their way to find us. Shame makes us guard ourselves no matter the crowd we find ourselves in. And it is downright exhausting. Have you ever been there where you were shameful about something and you just avoided people and kept yourself guarded? And you were like, you know what? I'm just going to have to work overtime to protect myself here. Shame is exhausting and it'll make you thirsty. Here's another honest to God truth. We're going to zoom in a little bit today on this room. Every one of us is carrying something today and we all show up to different wells thirsty. We all show up to places trying to find hydration for our hopeless lives. We all show up and say, God, I don't even know what to do, but man, if I can just run back to this or that or the other, while the whole time we're drowning in something entirely different. Thirsty for freedom, yet drowning in something. Some of us drink from the well of pornography. Some of us drink from the well of drugs. Some of us drink from the well of excessive alcohol and consumption. Some of us drink from the well of drama. This one's going to hurt. Some of us drink from the well of religion. Ouch. Some of us drink from the well of social media. Social media. We sit there and we hover over our social accounts, sipping on likes. <laughs> oh man, they liked it. Oh, it's cool. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Chugging on comments. Oh yeah, yeah, they saw that and they said it was cool too. Yeah, awesome. Taking shots of shares. Oh yeah, it's so good. They shared my post. I got likes, man. I'm really validated now. But we hide our wells from our friends because if we brought them in public, we knew that our private sin would probably make us be so shameful that we would isolate ourselves. If we really talked about the things we deal with in public and small group and meeting with people one-on-one, and we really had to lay our wells out on the table and say, this is where I drink from for validation, we would be so ashamed we probably would never come back to church. Be so ashamed. We fail to truly realize that the more we drink from these inferior wells, the thirstier we get. Because you know why? We will never be satisfied by sipping from stagnant wells. 
We will never be satisfied while sipping from stagnant wells. One of my first jobs out of high school, I worked for a well drilling company. I'm not going to say I know a lot about well drilling because I was the inventory shop house boy. I knew a lot about PVC pipes, <laughs> a lot about ball valves and pumps and wires and whatever. But towards the end of my time working there, I started going out on the field with a guy named Roger. Roger was, I mean, he was crazy. I mean, he's, I don't know how in the world he did it, but he would have like four cigarettes in his mouth at one time when he was working and he'd smoke like four cigarettes at one time. I'm like, dude, this is Guinness Book of World Records material right here, Roger. You're so talented. But he would do that and he would also like drop pumps and stuff into the well. I'm talking like hundreds of pounds of steel and iron. And the guy would work like crazy. And in the area we lived in, what had happened is a lot of the houses were built in the 40s and 50s, and the caverns in which these wells had been drilled into were beginning to collapse because of age and overuse. Underneath the ground we walk on, there's these things called caverns. They possess spring and fresh water. And over time, they'll begin to collapse as they dry up and as they begin to use way too much. I mean, you have like 10,000 houses in one mile radius pulling from the same cavern. Boom, it collapses. Anybody on well water has to stop and say, uh-oh, we have no water. And then the city will step in and be like, we'll give you a good deal to run city water to your house so you don't have to deal with this again. But sometimes they have to re-drill a well because of the location of the house. They can't get city water to it. I'm getting somewhere. I'm not just trying to educate you on my terrible well knowledge. But what they do with the old well, it would be a waste of man hours to try to dig all that pipe out of the ground. So a lot of times what they do is they place a cap on the top of it, and then they will go back and either solder or weld the cap tight from that well on the top of it. And you might say, why don't they just like put a cap on it, screw it down and be like, don't touch that. Well, because here's why. Over time, the bacteria that begins to form in the stagnant cavern and the stagnant well becomes contaminated and toxic. And if it were to bubble up one day because of the flexing of the earth and water were to come out and say your dog were to come drink from it, your dog wouldn't live very long. Or if you're like, oh, there's that old well, maybe I'll hook up a hose bib to it and just use it for washing my car. The bacteria could eat the clear coat off of your paint. Like over time, it becomes toxic, almost like acid. And it's really, really, really bad. So if you're living in a house that has a brand new drilled well and you have a capped well, are you going to run and try to drink from the capped well knowing that it's contaminated? Then my question for you is what kind of well do you choose to drink from every day? So many of us, we just struggle to get away from the familiar wells, even though we know that it is stagnant. We know that that hit, we know that that, that drink, we know that that website, we know that that social media account isn't going to feed us, yet we run back to it like a puppy back to its mother and say, more, more, I just got to drink more from this well. I got to drink more from this well. And we've got to stop drinking and settling with contaminated, capped, stagnant wells. Because when we run and try to run to them and find hydration for our dry souls, guess what? Ultimately, if Jesus is not in that well, we find ourselves intoxicated by it over time. It will become bound to it. We become shackled to it. And we continue to run back to it over and over and over again. And they don't produce peace in your life. But if we take a sip from the well of living water that Jesus is offering, we will have a thirst that is quenched forever. Just a sip from the Savior's cup can change it all. It can change 
at all. There's no need to defend our shame any longer because when you drink of living water, it's washed away. It's washed away. We see this in verse 13 and 14. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. This is the kind of water we need to scratch the thirst of shame. This is the kind of water we need that will scratch the surface of insecurity. This is the kind of water that Jesus says, I've got a pitcher for you. Why do you keep drinking from this contaminated well? He's trying to get living water to you and to me. And he didn't ever say, you know what, here's the deal. The old wells aren't going to bubble up again from time to time. And he didn't say that you'd be void from temptation. We can't believe that as Christians because at the end of the day, temptation is a real thing. But what he did say is that, hey, you won't need to drink from those if you drink and live from this. If you find yourself at the well of living water, you won't have to run back to the capped well. The well of discouragement will come and tempt a sip. The well of depression will come and tempt to swallow, but you always have access to a well that doesn't run dry. And I love it. It's not just us that need it. It's this Samaritan woman. In verse 15, here's her response. She says, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water. Then I'll be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I'll never be thirsty again, and I'll have to come, never have to come up this mountain at noon to get water again because I'm drinking from the well that never runs dry. She was thirsty for peace. She was thirsty to overcome shame. She was dehydrated in her despair. She needed a fresh sip of living water because she was exhausted for striving for fulfillment when Jesus is like, I wanna fill you. You don't have to strive anymore. I wanna fill you with my living water. And she's striving just to to just get a drip off of this well of shame and off of this well of despair. But she didn't need to. We need to get to the place where we realize this. There's nothing that can quench our thirst like the peace found in Jesus as well. There's nothing that can quench our thirst like the the peace we find in Jesus as well. So if you're dehydrated by the pressures of life today, take a sip from his well. If you're dehydrated by the pressure to perform on the job today, drink from Jesus as well. If you're dehydrated by that constant fear that is lurking under the surface, then take a sip from Jesus well today. And I know it sounds all good and churchy and theoretical and it's beautiful, but there's a practical way to do this. The first way is to to soak in God's presence. Soak in God's presence. Find times of solitude where you're not talking and asking God for help. And you just sit and say, God, if you never do another thing for me, I'm thankful. God, if you, if you never do anything but let me drink from the cup in your hand of living water, then I'm thankful. I want to sit in your presence. I love how Psalm 16 says, you will show me the ways of life, granting me joy in your presence and the pleasures, the pleasures of living within you forever. When you sit in God's presence, you will be granted the joy and the peace that is inside of your salvation that flows from the well of living water. The second thing, you have to remain an overflow of God's word and God's spirit. You can't find peace if you're not reading about the peace that's been promised to you. Because there's 7,700 and something promises within cover to cover of the word of God. And if you're not reading them and taking them in and literally immersing yourself in the promises of God, then why in the world would you find peace? Peace. 
You got to find yourself immersed, remaining in overflow of God's word. That when that shame comes back, you can say, no, I am more than a conqueror because I'm found in Christ Jesus. And when that defeat tries to leak in, you can say, no, because what you're trying to bring for evil, my God's turning for good. And you have the promises of God inside of you so full that it's like a river of living life coming out of you. The third thing is we have to pray when we feel weak. And that sounds like, like, like Sunday Bible study, like Sunday morning, Sunday school, um, you know, a line there. But man, I'm telling you what, when you start feeling that thing creep up on you and you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, he's as close as the mention of his name. Jesus, I dwell from and I draw from the well of living water today. I don't have to look for validation from that guy or that girl or that, that person on Facebook or from that boss or from that leader in my life. I draw from the well of living water today and it has nothing to do with what's around me. It has everything to do with what's inside of me. We have to overflow and pray. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious, but in every situation, pray with petition and thanksgiving. Present your requests to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Another, another version of this says, the peace of God that overflows with understanding will guard your hearts and your minds as you are in Christ Jesus. Let the power of his presence, the promise of his word, and the provision found in prayer bring peace and overflow in your life. It's so important. But here's the deal. It doesn't stop at peace. If we find living water, yes, we find peace. If we get in God's word, yes, we find peace. If we spend time in his presence, yes, we find peace. If we pray when we're struggling and we ask God to help, Yes, we'll find peace. If we ask others who are a well to come and pour into our lives when we're dry, yes, we'll find peace, but it doesn't stop at peace. We have to be thirsty for more. There's a second step. It doesn't land there. You see, the living water that comes from Jesus' well doesn't just bring hydrating peace to a dry soul. It brings purpose to an empty vessel. And if you and I walk around empty our whole life, what good is it? We can have all the peace in the world, but be as empty and as bone dry as, as, a, as a dehydrated bowl. Just walking around day in and day out, Eeyore effect, nobody likes me. Yeah, I've got the peace of the Lord, but nothing I'm doing is going noticed. Nothing I'm doing is edifying me. I'm struggling. Uh, and we're walking around and nobody wants to be around us because we suck the joy out of every room we find ourselves in because we don't have a purpose. It's more than just peace, friends. It's purpose. And maybe today you've been wandering from well to well to well to well. And here's what I have to say. Well, there's a purpose for your life and it's found at the well of living water and once you find living water life will make sense again life will have purpose again you will go from empty to overflowing and though you may have peace in your soul if we walk in a counterfeit calling it'll damn up the flow of design destiny for you and I We've got a destiny that Jeremiah tells us that before our first breath was even taken, before we were formed in our mother's womb, we were called, set apart, anointed, and called forward with a purpose for our life. 
And if we choose to walk around with just having the peace of the Lord, but no purpose and not walking in a designed destiny, and we sit here and we just, we just gum up because we let this counterfeit calling, well, I just do this because it pays good. Well, I just do this because it makes me feel good. But it's not what you're called to do. You're damning up a designed destiny that God has placed in you before you took your first breath. It, it, it's damned up inside of you. And not only did Jeremiah say, hey, there's a, there's a purpose inside of you. If you look a little further in that book, it actually says that he who plants himself by, by what? Living water will not wither. Maybe today you look at the mirror and say, God, I've aged 10 years in the last 10 months. I'm falling apart. I put weight on. I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. I'm about to just hang a garbage bag over this mirror because I'm tired of looking at myself. I'm withered. Well, are you planted next to living water? Because if you are, I'm not saying it's going to be like L'Oreal and put a new face on for you. But what I am saying is it's going to put a new pep in your step, a new purpose. You'll feel good about yourself. You'll make wise decisions about your health. You'll make wise decisions about your future because you're like, hey, I'm on a purpose and on a mission. I'm not here to live, die, and pay bills. I have got something that God has placed on my life that I have to pursue. And if I don't, it's not going to get done. Because when you have purpose, things just change. And we live in this culture where everybody's trying to be an overnight microwave influencer on YouTube. And they're sitting here and they're like, oh man, oh man, if my influence doesn't get these likes or these subscribers, then you know, I'm actually going to have to go and, and find my calling. When they, what they don't realize is at the end of the day, they're just being influenced by the wells of the world. In an attempt to be an influencer, they're becoming intoxicated by the wells of this world. When God the whole time is saying, hey, hey, that influence doesn't stem from subscribers. Oh man, it doesn't, it, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't come from followers or likes or shares. It comes from drawing near the well and drawing from the well that is a wellspring of living water inside of you. If we live near the well that Jesus gives us, our purpose will flow. It'll flow like a river out of us abundantly. The woman at the well experienced this when she walked the hill that day. She anticipated another great day with a stick on her shoulder with two ropes and two buckets. And she walked up there and she anticipated to put that up there on top of the, the track and to reel down and grab the hook and put the bucket on and fill the water and leave with a heavy, heavy pole with, with plenty of natural water, but still leaving the well just as dry as ever. She anticipated yet another dry day at the well on the hill. She had no idea what she was about to run into on the top of that mountain, where she would leave her water vessels behind because she no longer needed them. Because she had found and been filled with living water from the well of Jesus. We have to grasp this today. Jesus could have walked right around Samaria and just avoided her altogether, but he chose not to. But he walked up and he went up this hill and he was tired and he was sweaty and he was exhausted. And he could have found her at the well and sat down and been like, okay, here she comes. Let me show you what it looks like to have peace. Okay, I'm going to do that. Now I'm going to read your mail about all your husbands and see you later. I'm going to Galilee. And he could have just taken a little step with his disciples and made his way to Galilee. But no, he decided to say, hey, I don't think that that is enough. I think that once you've been filled with peace, there's another step. And what did she do? She received a fullness and she decided to say, I I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody of what I just encountered here at the well today. But it all started when she decided she had to leave an empty vessel at the well. 
What empty vessel do you need to leave at the well today? What have you been carrying out of just rhythm? Saying, oh man, just another day, I'm gonna go fill this thing up, you know, 40 ounces, and then I'll be back up tomorrow around noon, same time tomorrow. You get in the rhythm of carrying around these empty vessels. Maybe it's an empty relationship you're in. And you just like the comfort of someone being there sitting in your pool of shame, but you're not, there's no life, give, no, no life giving whatsoever to this relationship. Maybe, maybe it's an empty expectation you've put on yourself to do better and be more, but you're killing yourself in the process because you're not walking in purpose. Nobody ever told you you had to work that hard or do that, but you're still doing it because you're like, well, if I don't fill my vessel, uh, you know, and then you, next thing you know it, it's empty because you're just absolutely out of purpose, out of energy, out of peace. What empty vessels do we need to leave at the well today? Because the wellspring can't flow inside of us if we continue to rely on these little boxed-in vessels that we walk around with. We've got to make a decision to leave them at the well today. But it's, it's for so much more, so much more than just a refill. Going and sitting in God's presence and reading God's word and finding the peace of God and praying to God is so much more than just a refill that in six months, you and I walk right back in here and we're still, we're dragging the foot again and we're falling apart and we're dehydrated and we're frustrated and we're back addicted to the same things that we thought we left at the well and we're struggling again in six months because we just took it as a refill. Like if I could just get a quick fix of this Jesus living water, it'll hold me over till Christmas maybe. But then after Christmas, right back into cruise control, and here's the deal. I think mental health is a real thing. But a lot of times living out of purpose, we call it seasonal depression. And God's like, yeah, yeah, that maybe it is seasonal depression. Or maybe it's the fact that you continue to live out of purpose. And I've been trying to point you and steer you to something that is life-giving inside of you where depression cannot coexist with. And you continue to say, I'm cool with my empty vessels. I'm just going to keep walking, doing my thing. Tired, empty, depleted, frustrated, no peace in my life. It's so much more than just a refill. It's a responsibility because the peace of God may comfort you, but the purpose of God will commission you. It'll call you to do something outside of your abilities that might scare you to death. But you don't do it alone because Christ is in you. He's flowing through you. It isn't just for us. It's for a purpose. Let's, let's hop down to verse 30 in this story. I, I love John's metaphorical uh, words that he uses here. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Isn't it cool how he used the word streaming? What had happened between verse 15 and verse 30 is this woman said, I have to go tell everyone I've met the Messiah. I have to go tell them. I have to go back to the town that I've been ridiculed in and the town that I carry a reputation I've been rebuked in. I have to go tell them that I've met the Messiah and that I've drank from a cup and the life-giving water is flowing through me. So she goes and 15 verses later, what happens? Her overflow leads to a flood that comes back to the well. And there's Jesus. Hey, who else wants a sip? Who else wants a sip? That's you and my calling. And you might say, well, I don't even know what that looks like, whatever. There's steps that we take to fulfill the commission of Jesus. But if we go and try to do it without having living water, we're going to find ourselves burnt out. Because we're not hydrated by something that God is trying to stream through us. And as I was preparing for this message, I, um, I remembered a prophetic word that someone spoke over me at a conference seven years ago. Anybody ever had somebody give you a word and you get like five years down the pipe and you're like, 
that thing ain't happened yet. I think that prophet missed it. I think that guy missed it because it didn't happen yet. And I'm writing this message and I'm sitting back and the Lord just arrested my heart and he said, you remember that word Jenny gave you seven years ago? And I was like, my God in heaven. And she gave me this word and she said, I see you standing on a platform and you're pouring living water into other people's cups and they're running. But they're not just running away, they're coming back and receiving more water to run again and again and again and again. And I don't know about you, but I'm an illustrative guy. I wanna see things because I wanna understand them. So Jeremiah, would you come up here, Journey? Um, would uh, Cole, would you come up here? And Jesse, would you come up here? I need the four of you guys really quick. This is what it looks like to walk on purpose and to walk with purpose. This is what it looks like. It starts with us taking our half empty cups that'll be empty before long. You guys come stand right here in a line, shoulder to shoulder, soldier. And then we say, you know what? I'm gonna fill up. I'm gonna get to the rim. And then what I do is I say, now that I'm full, thank you God, I have peace and I have purpose. And then I remember in life, at my job, I run into my coworker, Jeremiah. And I'm like, you know what, man? I've been noticing lately, you're just not yourself. You okay? Jeremiah starts opening it up to me and come to find out he's just lost passion for everything. He feels like he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, yet he felt like God may have called him to where he's at. And he's even questioning his faith because of that. So what do I do? I say, hey, Jeremiah, follow me, man. I wanna show you something, bro. <laughs> Doesn't this look awesome? Grab a cup real quick. Grab a cup, take that empty vessel of yours right there, and let me just give you what I got. And then here's what I'll do. I'll refill. But then Jeremiah goes back to work, and he remembers when he's at the YMCA, the person teaching his class that he's going to at the YMCA, after their session the night before, she was sitting in the parking lot bawling her eyes out on the phone with somebody. And he walks into class and he says, hey, I noticed, I'm not trying to like barge my way into your personal life, but I noticed you were pretty tore up after class last night. Are you okay? And come to find out, Journey is sitting here outside talking on the phone and found out that her husband of 10 years had just cheated on her and was leaving her. And she's broken. She has questions about even living anymore because she had given everything to this marriage. So what does Jeremiah do in that moment? He says, hey, look what I found. I found a cup. And I can pour from my overflow into what you have, and then it doesn't run dry. So Jeremiah said, I can refill. But it doesn't stop there, you have Journey, and she's at the gas station, and there's a guy at the gas pump, and he's like, what the heck, man? I'm so fed up with these gas prices. It's trying to drown my business, man. I just got out of the red with my business. I'm so frustrated, and right, right when I do that, these gas prices go right to $4 a gallon. And you know what, it's just like my marriage. It's just like my marriage. I'm frustrated as all get out in my marriage. And at the end of the day, you know what? Everything's empty, just like me. He's mad, he's yelling at the gas pump. And all Journey knows to do is to say, hey, I don't know you from Adam, but I know the one who created Adam, and I've met him at a well through my coworker. Let me come show you this cup and give you what I have. So she gives what God's given her, 
and times in his presence and times in his word. And she refills. Not for a refill, but for a responsibility. Because now Jesse has made his wife feel like trash. He's spoken ill of her. This is not a true story, by the way. He said things that he regrets. But it's not his wife who's most affected. It's his kid. And he knows that living with living water is more than just living in the moment. It's living with legacy. If we don't carry our responsibility, then we leave generations of dry people. So Jesse says, son, I'm so sorry for the things I've said to your mother and how I've degraded you. Let me show you what I found today at the gas station. I found a cup and I wanna pour into you what I've found. And guess what? It's free refills all day with this one, man. You see what, you see what I'm saying here? It doesn't just start and end with you and I getting peace, feeling all purposed up and then just sitting on our couch. We have to put on these goggles and say, God, lead me to dry and empty vessels. People who are broken, who are dry, who are empty, lead me to them. Thank you, guys. You can take the water with you for hydration. It doesn't just end with you and I saying, I'm all great, I'm all good. And you know what's funny? When I started thinking about that vision, I started crying. I mean, real men cry. Come on, somebody. Like, I'm sitting there crying in my office, and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God, I repent to think that that woman spoke out of the Spirit. I repent, God, that I didn't know on the 27th of March in 2022 that you would trust me to release this word over our church for a new season. And you know what he said to me? It's deployment season, baby. Let's go. It's deployment season. It's time for us to be commissioned. It's time for us to step out because here at the end of the day, you see there is a purpose behind it. And the purpose we find in the living water at the well is to revive a region. The purpose we find at the living water is to, is to supply a city. Is it not hitting hard enough? Let me personalize a little bit. The purpose we find in the living water at the well is to hydrate Havana. The purpose we find of the living water at the well is to bring fresh water to Frenchtown. Instead of avoiding Frenchtown when you drive home, you'll drive through it and speak in tongues and pray the whole way. And say, God, I speak revival over this neighborhood. I speak revival over these streets. I call prophets and evangelists and apostles and teachers and leaders off of these streets in Jesus' mighty name. The purpose we find in the living water at the well is to bring living water to the lost in Wakulla. God has called us to so much more. He is calling us to break the levy of living water over Leon County. Come on, somebody. If you believe that today, then you have to step into purpose because it's more than a refill. It's a responsibility. He's calling us to transform TLH. Do you believe it today? It's for more than a refill. It's a responsibility. So how, how do we do this? When we're at the job and we see an empty cup, we bring them to the well that doesn't run dry. When we're at the gym and we see an empty cup, we bring them to the well of living water that doesn't run dry and beyond and beyond. We must first be filled. We must first be filled. Here's the deal, you, you hear that in church. We must first be filled and a lot of people think that that means filled with the Holy Spirit, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. Didn't that sound theological anyways? But I know people who are filled with the Holy Spirit that are dry as a bone. Because if you're not filled with the love of God, 
and the peace of God that passes all understanding and the purpose of God deep inside of you, but you're filled with the spirit, that spirit's gonna choke out anyways and leave. The spirit's in us all the time, but he's gonna say, hey, I want no part of that action. I'll only bless it so long in grace, but I'll step away over time because it's becoming damaging that a dry vessel would try to speak out of the spirit and hurt people. You see, it's so much more than being filled with the spirit. It's being filled with living water of peace, purpose, life, love, generosity inside of us. So much so that we're pouring out onto other people, that people are literally finding freedom from our overflow. We've got to make a decision to first be filled, to first be filled. And today you might've showed up and said, like the Samaritan woman, I feel too unclean for this. I don't feel worth it. I don't feel like I deserve to walk full of this living water that Jesus provides. You might say, man, my shame has disqualified me from being filled with God. He doesn't wanna live in this broken vessel. Trust me, just like the woman at the well said, what do you have with me? A Jew, like what, this unclean vessel, why would you wanna even talk to me? But God is saying this, I've called you to be full to flow and one sip from my cup will change everything. One sip from my cup will change everything. If our prayer team would come forward, we're gonna end service a tad bit different today. And I really felt as I was in here last night working through my message and praying that I felt like the Lord, I began to look at the chairs and God began to show me just empty urns sitting in seats. I'm not gonna say he told me what seats, but it's inevitable in life for us to get to a place where we get dry. It's inevitable. If we don't stay under the living water, planted by rivers of living water, filled and afresh and anew, it's inevitable for us to find ourselves dry. And if you're thirsty today, it's okay. It's okay. Samaritan woman found out that her thirst equated to her expectation and it led to her having an experience with a savior that changed her life forever. But Jesus, remember Jesus was thirsty because he had walked uphill several miles to be in purpose to encounter this woman at the well. You know, as I was studying, I, I just love the Bible. I love how the Bible is so intentional. I was reminded that this is not the only time we saw Jesus thirsty. You see, one of the last depictions of Jesus's pre-crucifixion showed Jesus thirsty. If we shoot down to John 19, the end of this book, the crucifixion depiction says that he said, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I'm thirsty. He was exhausted. You know why he was exhausted? Because he had to walk 700 yards carrying a cross fit for you and I on his back that weighed over 100 pounds uphill. Sound familiar? Had to walk a long distance uphill. Got a little thirsty got to the top of that hill. But the thing is, is it wasn't the weight of spike and wood that he was carrying. It was the weight of your shame. It was the weight of your sin. It was the weight of your insecurity. It was the weight of your complacency. It was the weight of your addiction and your destruction that he was carrying. But he carried it freely, all to get to the cross. And the only request he had that he knew he had to make to fulfill scripture was to say, I'm thirsty. And you might ask, how does that fulfill scripture? It's because when he got up there, he had worked so hard to bring the covenant 
that he promised through coming to this earth. He lived 33 years of faultless life, tempted and tried a faultless life so that you and I can live. And you might sit back today and say, well, if he fulfilled the promise that he made in the prophecies of the Testament of old, then I guess he had a right to be thirsty. Yes, he did because he was a human. But you might feel too far gone today. But I remind you that Jesus will walk right up in the middle of your Samaria and find you where you are. And you might feel today like you're unclean, but let me tell you, his crimson blood made your scarlet sins white as snow today. And so first, the first call I wanna make is if you're in this place and you've never given your life to Jesus, because that's the first step of this. So with every head bowed and every eye closed for confidentiality, if you came in this place today and you're like, I want to sip for the first time from this well you speak of, that's me. I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus because I've been trying to figure it out and I am exhausted. I am thirsty. I am dehydrated. Then I just challenge you to just, nobody's looking, shoot your hand up really quick. I just want to pray with you. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Yep. Yep. I see those hands. Yep. Would everybody repeat after me in this prayer? Say, Jesus, I'm so thirsty. I pray today that I would come and drink from your living water and that it would wash away my sin. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Five people came home today. Five people came home today. Five people showed up at the well today because they were thirsty. But I think there's more than five of us that need to come to the well today so that they can be filled. And so what I want to do with everyone standing, I'd like for you to really take a moment and get reverent before the Lord and surrender yourself before the Lord. I know we're going a little long today, but I feel like we're right exactly where God needs us to be. So unless you have to leave or you're serving after service and you're, you're called to step out, I really pray we we'll just be reverent and just be still for a few more moments. Pastor Ryan's going to come close the service out in just a minute. But if that's you today and you find yourself just thirsty, my Lord, you've read the Bible cover to cover. You've prayed like no tomorrow, but it just feels like there's that peg that's blocking the flow in the well inside of you of living water. If, if that's you today, here in a moment, I'm going to invite you to the altar to pray. I'm gonna invite you to the altar to pray. I'm gonna come down and pray with anybody who doesn't have a person to pray with. And I really believe that God wants to touch you today and he wants to fill you today. And this isn't some weird creepy, you gotta say a certain word, you gotta do a certain motion. This is simply you coming and saying, God, I repent for doing it on my own and I'm ready to do it your way. Would you just fill me with your living water today? So if that's you today, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, I want you to come to this altar and I want you to receive prayer for a few moments. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you that you have promised unto us, God, that you are a river of living water that flows freely for us. And Father, I pray to the parched and the dry soul in this room today. 
Any of us, God, who are walking around without peace or purpose because we are bone dry. And Father, today I pray, Lord, that you would call us, you would give us the courage to take 10 steps forward and be filled by living water today. Father, I pray, God, that you would break down any distraction, break down any barrier we've placed in our mind, break down anything the enemy is whispering into our ears. And I pray, God, that you would allow us, God, to come and be filled by living water. Father, I pray, Lord, that it would flow like a wellspring of life over our church, God, not for us to simply get a refill, but God, for us to have responsibility, God, to pour out into the neighborhoods around us, to pour out into our families, to pour out into our coworkers, to pour out into our business. So Father, I pray right now in the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would fill us with living water. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, if you need prayer today, I encourage you, come forward, come forward. Come on, there's no shame in Jesus. There's no fear in Jesus. And if you say, I've been struggling in life and I need a few moments for somebody to come into partnership with me and pray with me that I might receive living water, then come forward today. Come to the altar. We want to pray with you. As the worship team sings, we want to pray with you today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.